Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Good morning, church. How we doing? Good. Good. We're waking up a little bit. Yeah. Listen, we're not being mean. We just, you know, want to be excited too. So, uh, hey, well, my name is Sean, and I'm so excited you're here. If it's your first time uh, with us, welcome. Uh, we have, uh, oh, sorry about that, Riley. Um, we uh, have been to church about a year and a half or so. I guess really about two years, but actual church about a year and a half or so. And so, um, as people are kind of hearing about us, and um, I, I get called the progressive pastor of TR, which I don't know, I guess it fits, I don't know. Um, either way, uh, we're really excited about what the Lord is doing here this morning, and so uh, sometimes we just get too much coffee, um, and we get too excited, and then, you know, I uh, feel like everyone is supposed to be just as excited and drinking coffee since 7 o'clock as we are, and so apologize, that comes off, off a little weird, but we're pumped. So, um, hey, go ahead and turn to Mark 9 this morning. Um, we are in our second week of this series called No Perfect People. And so I, I got asked this week, you know, what is this idea of no perfect people? Um, oh, and by the way, if you have our app, you can open up our app and you'll see sermon notes in the bottom right corner. Uh, you can grab that as well if you're looking for a, a fun way. You can click the little blue checks, fill in the blank. It's so much fun. Um, but... Uh, I got asked, what, what was the, the whole idea of No Perfect People? Like, why, why are we doing that series? It's kind of a weird time. And here's what it is. Um, we really believe that church should be a place where people don't have to feel like they qualify themselves to come in. You know, like where you, you don't have to feel like you have to have everything lined out and you had to have a perfect week. And if you got mad at your kids or, you know, you gave someone the finger on Woodruff Road. I got, that's not a good thing necessarily, right? But we'll get there. But, um, but that you don't have to feel that, that kind of heaviness of walking in a church and going, gosh, what if people really know my story? Because vulnerability is a scary thing, right? Like we, we talk about relationship and friendship and it's like, okay, well, if I go and if I take these steps with people, they're going to eventually find out things about me that aren't pretty, it's kind of the same way we date, right? For those of you guys who are in dating relationships or if you're married now for a number of years and you guys are trapped, um, my wife now has to deal with my stuff. That's how it works. So, But, you, you know, you kind of present the best of what you have first in hopes that they'll like you enough that when the kind of weird stuff happens or when you upset them or hurt them that they still like you more, right? We do that with relationships. We do that with friendships. Um, some of you guys are on our uh, all-star Softball team, yep, FYI, we're four and two, leading the league, just beat the undefeated team last week, but it's whatever. Um, it's, it's fine, it's fine. But that was a risk for me, because like, I'm a little bit competitive, if you haven't noticed, right? And I don't want to be the jerk on the softball team, be like, well, I can't come there. That guy, the pastor yelled at me, because I only got a single instead of a triple, which, it's a thing that happens, guys. No, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Um, no, but, but, you know, we kind of like self-insulate and protect. But what happens when we actually share stories and when we have community and relationship with people, what tends to happen is that we have opportunities to show grace instead of to receive judgment. Like the, the script kind of gets flipped because 
as you walk with people and as you meet them and as like my wife found out that I just like take my socks off and throw them everywhere all over the house. Like those are opportunities for her to show me grace in relationship and for me to grow and not throw my socks everywhere in the house. It's a habit, I'm sorry. But that's what relationships should be. And, and so as we are going through this series called No Perfect People, you're going to hear stories of people who call Trailside home who maybe you haven't heard stories like this in church. Today you're going to hear um, a story about one of our elders, Josh Bradford, who's actually right now being the ranger, helping out, hanging out with trail kids. Um, And and I'm not going to ruin his story for you, but I I hope that when you hear it, you're encouraged to know that if you're not perfect and if everything's not lined up and you didn't have a fantastic morning today and you weren't like, yes, I'm going to wake up and go to church. The Lord will be there and my day will be better. This is going to be great. If you didn't do that, that is okay. But we hope that you'll come and be encouraged by the end of it. And, And speaking of being the ranger, if you were here last week, you may have noticed that I got to go be the ranger pretty exciting. Um, it was terrible. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. It was fun. It was just hot. Uh, you may not know this about me, but I tend to be a little sweaty. Um, it just happens. It's a thing. I'm okay with it. Uh, the Lord's still good. But um, I got to be uh, Joseph in the, 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 the dream coat, the coat of many colors. And I want to tell you, it, I feel for Joseph not because of his story, but because that was a hot coat. Um, it was really hot. And I got sassed by a bunch of like four and five-year-olds, which you got you to gotta be a special person to get sassed by like a group of five-year-olds and know that they're being very honest, so they're probably right. <laughs> they don't have the Southern culture yet. They just tell you that you smell bad. It, it's just what it is. Just kidding. No, but, um, but man, I, I'm telling you, uh, if you wondered if we're going to have to get a new lead pastor here because I'm going to go be the ranger full-time, I'm going to give you a hard no on that. Uh, don't worry. Um, but, man, what an, what an incredible thing. If, if you are one of the volunteers back there, you guys are just special people, um, and I'm, I'm so thankful for you because uh, you guys give so much, so much to the children of our church. It's just a big, big deal um, to love families well. And honestly, you know, I, I kind of think that's the point of church, right? Like, if we're, if we're actually about a church about being a church, the kind of goal of the church is to give of ourselves to everyone else for the sake of the gospel, that should be kind of the, the road that the church navigates. If church ever becomes something for us of what we want, I think we may miss the mark on what church should be. Like The goal of church is to have community, it's to know Jesus, and to have him make you less like you and more like him. And as we do that, we love people really well. That's why every church has a motto, right? It's love God and love what? People. 100% of churches will have some semblance of that within their, their motto, their mission. So the question is, with all the churches here, what makes churches different? Like, what actually matters? Because every church is going to love God and love people. That's what they're about, right? That's why you come to church. You can typically go to a church and know that some of that is going to happen in some capacity. But I think that what we are hoping and trying to do is actually make that matter outside of just Sunday morning. Because if we don't love people well, then we don't love God well, and then we're not actually doing what we're supposed to do. 
And so in this series of No Perfect People, that's what we want to do. We want to tell stories of redemption, of, of what people have experienced at Trailside or what people experienced and then came here, and that the gospel changed their life. And I hope that you hear that today and that you feel that. You feel encouraged by that. Um, and it's not that Trailside is magic. Okay, you didn't come here, like, and I'm not going to be like, Trailside is the best. Never leave. Um, but what I do want you to hear is that there's a reason that Lord moves in certain places, in certain buildings. Typically, um, when people join a church or come to a church or whatever, maybe you felt some of this. It's because what they call the three Fs. So being a pastor, right, we have Facebook groups. Yeah, you guys thought it was just you, right? No, no, we have Facebook groups. We, we just whine about people is what it is. Um, just kidding. We don't do that. Well, some people do, but... Yeah, I just like to troll people. It's, it's a lot of fun. Just mess with people. Tell me what KJV only means. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some of you got that, yeah. Um, but Barna did a study, and they said there's three things that bring people into church, and they're called the three Fs. Okay, the, one is friendship. The next is family, and the next is a function. Those are the three reasons people come to church. And here's what those mean. Friendship is pretty straightforward. I don't have to explain too much of that, but it's, it's to be loved, right? Like no one walks into a church and they're like, oh, I'm just going to sit in the back. I hope all these people hate me by the end, right? Like you're not like throwing things at people. Oh, I did that when I was a kid, but hopefully you don't do that here. Um, and, and people seek family. They want a place to belong, community, they want to give, to reciprocate love toward people, to feel important. And the last, they want to function. They want to contribute. Do you know what the greatest cause of the millennial generation coming to church is? It's to fulfill purpose. Isn't that crazy? That's like a Barna, like legitimate study. They said, what is the number one reason you go to church, and it was fulfillment of purpose. That's crazy. But people want to feel like what they're doing matters. Like you want to feel like what you're contributing actually is doing something to make the world a better place. And so there's these three Fs. But here's the thing about that. I think you can probably find those three Fs in any group ever in fraternities, in work crews, in, I don't know, what else? Friends. You can find friendship and family and function in any group of people, right? Like we have this thing in our cul-de-sac where we live. We call it the cul-de-sac because we're the best. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of the cul-de-sac is here today. So, And that's great, and I, and I love those people, and we have a ton of fun, and we laugh a lot, but what separates something like a cul-de-sac from a, from a church is the gospel. Because, guys, you can go, if your hope in church is to experience friendship, family, and function, you can do those things almost anywhere. But what separates a church, what makes a church family a family, is that the gospel has to impact people's lives within it. And it has to impact people's lives outside of it. And if it doesn't do those things, I say this often, it freaks people out, but I mean it. Then we should just close our doors and stop. Because if it ever becomes about those things and not the gospel, then all we become is a fun club. 
And guys, I don't want to waste my time on a fun club. I have no desire. There's plenty of churches out there that can do that. And we can all round up, meet up here Sunday, and go somewhere else. But I don't think that's what we're doing. The gospel actually changes things from a meetup group to a powerful, purposeful group of people that can affect the world and affect people to change to know Jesus. And I think that we can do that if we come together on that and we see stories like what you're going to see here in a few minutes with Josh. So all that to say, let's go ahead and go to Mark 9. I want to read this story to you because I think what we've experienced in church culture in the South is that we've gotten some of that out of whack, right? Has anyone ever been, or I'm not going to ask a question like that. Maybe you've been like, yeah, let's make a list of all the churches we hate, right? Maybe you've been to a church that felt more of a country club than it did a church. I know I've worked at churches like that where it's a social status, you show up, you smile a lot. How's everything? Great. So good. Because what happens is we get this idea of who we are and our, important, our importance level out of whack. And so walk with me here to Mark 9. I want to read this to you. Starting in verse 33, very, very straightforward. This is what Scripture says. And they came to Capernaum. This is Jesus and the disciples. And When he, Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? So they were coming into Capernaum. And I love this, but they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. You guys ever had your parents like know you did something wrong, but you don't know? I remember when I was uh, like 17, I think I was 16 or 17, my best friend stayed over at my house. And we had this great idea. We lived on a hill like this, basically, right? We had this great idea. Hey, we'll sneak out at about 1230. We'll push the car out of the driveway because <laughs> it was a, a manual. And then we'll just pop the clutch at the bottom of the hill. We'll drive off, do whatever we want, have fun, come back, right? Perfect plan. And if you're a teenager in here, you're going to hear why it's not a perfect plan in just a second. So we go out. We didn't even do anything really bad. We just kind of, you know, messing around, whatever. And we got home. I was like, all right, we'll sneak in. And so we had the sliding glass door. And so it was like, very quietly, you know, like came in, hit one of these, got back. And as we came around the corner where our, our living room was, because there was a wall, we came around the corner and there's Kathy Guida sitting in her chair, staring at the doorway. My best friend and I knew we were going to die that night. Caught red-handed. And this, this must be how these guys felt. Jesus like, like gets all the way into Capernaum. They get into the house. He's getting ready to teach. He's like, so I got a question. What were y'all uh, arguing about back there? And their response is so human, right? It's, they were silent for on the way they argued with one another about who was the greatest. Man. That's how it feels, right? When you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, you're like, what are you doing? And we go, I wasn't doing anything. I did nothing at all. That's how my son, who's eight years old, acts whenever we catch him doing something he wasn't supposed to, right? Like, hey, where did all this, where'd all these cookies go? I don't know. I'm unaware of the whereabouts of all the Oreos. 
I think Moose or dog ate them. I'm like, yeah, Moose got into the counter, like went to open the bag, ate all the Oreos. Right, you got chocolate on your face, Colin. Um, that's kind of like what's happening here, right? They, they hang their heads because they were arguing about who was the greatest. And he sat down, <coughs> excuse me, and he, Jesus, sat down and called the 12 in. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. We call this the very first historical come to Jesus moment. <laughs> but um, there we go. Somebody got it. Somebody got it. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not from me, but him who sent me. Uh, sorry, receives not me, but him who sent me. So, so here's, here's what's going on, okay? And, and this is why I'm going to wrap it all together, I promise, once you stick with me on this. Here, here's what's happened. Here's, let's set that scene. The disciples are really pumped about Jesus. They've been following him around. They're seeing his prominence level rise, like he's healing people. Kids with demons don't have demons anymore. People with withered hands now have fullness hands. He's bringing dead people to life. And they're watching all this stuff unfold, right? These miracles are happening. And Jesus is becoming very famous very quickly. Very quickly. And so the disciples, these chosen people who hang out with Jesus, they begin thinking like, hey, when this Messiah, who's now here, when he starts elevating, guess who's coming with him? Right? You guys follow me on that? They're like, hey, we might not be as famous as the Messiah, but like when he needs something done, it's going to talk to his boys over here, which we're one of. And so then they start talking like, oh, yeah, well, I love Jesus more than you do. No, 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 I do. Hey, remember when, uh, when he broke all that bread? Who was the first person to hand of the basket to? Right? It's your boy, John. And so they get really pumped about this. They had just seen this really famous thing called the Transfiguration, where Jesus was up on a mountain and then like Elijah showed up and they like turned bright white, so white that you couldn't even clean clothes that way. You couldn't bleach those things that white. He's glowing. God is there. Speak. The Father speaks. Like they are pumped about life. They're excited because they've been all part of that. And so they think, hey, when Jesus takes his throne here on earth, when he redeems us out of the Roman Empire, when he is a military leader, we are going to be number one and number two all the way through number 12. And so their fight is, hey, when Jesus is famous, I'm going to be like slot one. You can be slot four because I'm better than you are. That's what the whole argument is about. The whole conversation. And so Jesus knows that. He's like, what are you guys talking about back there? Like literally this morning, I was actually, I was praying and reading and studying uh, my sermon and my son came out, my daughter woke up and my son came out and they started talking about who knows what, probably Mario. And my son walks over to me, he's like, hey dad, you know what? Emma doesn't even know the techniques of bragging yet. And I was like, that's going in, <laughs> right? <laughs> I looked at him, I was like, what's the, what's the point of a technique of bragging? He's like, oh, you know. You just like talk about how cool you are. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, I have nothing, no story to tell, nothing to wake people up. And my son walks in. He's like, techniques of bragging. I, I've never even called it that before. You know what I mean? Like the technique, didn't even know the techniques of bragging. Got him. But that's, that's literally what's happening. They're talking, they're bragging. 
talking about how great they are. Obviously, that's prob- problematic. But, but let's paint the picture of, of, of what's actually happening. Jesus brings them in. They sit around a table, as they normally do, knowing Jesus is about to teach them something. And he takes a child who at the time, children were seen as kind of like annoyances until they could get old enough to start learning the Torah, and then they would hopefully become rabbis, right? They just kind of were annoying. They'd get in the way, run around. And so it was common, and you actually see it throughout the Gospels, where you can see the disciples moving children out of the way, out of Jesus' way, and Jesus consistently is like, no, come to me. You must have faith like a child. Jesus grabs one of these kids, puts him in the middle of the room, in the middle of all the people, and he says, hey, um, you should be like him. Like, this is who you need to be. And so Jesus does, he does three things in these moments. The first thing he does is he, he reacclimates the disciples to their proper place. He grabs this kid, he puts him on his lap, and he says, hey, um, if you want to be first, if you want to be really fancy and important, then... Um, You must be last. You need to be like this kid who can't do anything. All that kid can do is love Jesus well. That's it. He throws this understanding of authority on his head. See, he says, like, what king serves, right? Kings are served. Authorities are served. And he says, you need to be like this this kid. If you want to be first in in the kingdom, you need to be like this kid who can do nothing but love people well, who has no authority at all. See, these disciples, they were seeking honor and privilege and status. And the problem with that is that Jesus gives an assignment back to them and says, hey, none of that stuff matters. You actually need to do the opposite. You need to lower yourself and become like nothing. Hmm. The second thing Jesus does in this, he, he reminds the disciples of their purpose. It says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now remember, guys, they were seeking to be Jesus' second right-hand man. They wanted the place of honor. And Jesus says, listen, your goal, your purpose is to receive children. To love people who have nothing, who are are needy and have no opportunity to take care of themselves. That's what your goal is, to care for people who can do nothing. He's like, because when you do that, you love me. By the way, you love children is how you love me. They had no place in Jewish culture amongst adults. And yet Jesus says, this is who you need to be after. And the third thing is that Jesus reminds the disciples of their prize. He says, whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Listen, when you receive a child, you receive me. And when you receive me, what you're actually doing is receiving the Father. The hope that you would have to know God is by how you love the children. Like our, Our prize here is not status. 
Your prize, your goal, listen, you've been lied to your whole life, and I have too. We've been told that our goal in American culture is to have as much stuff, as many people, and as many things, and as much authority as we can so we can lord those over everyone else, right? Is that fair? Have a bigger house. Have a better car. Have more money in your bank account. Have a nicer couch. Have a bigger television. It's a cul-de-sac joke, sorry. Have nicer clothes, eat at the best restaurants, and then lord that over everyone who's not as good as you. That's what you've been told your whole life. That's how you've been told to live in American culture. That is not what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches to work hard to love people really well so that people can know Jesus and have eternity with him. That's the goal. That's what Jesus says here, guys. This is not... It's not Sean's opinion here. This is what Jesus is showing them. These guys are seeking status and authority. He says, you want status and authority? Love little children. Love the people who have nothing to give you. Serve them. Serve them and remember that your prize is in eternity. That this hope you have is not hope at all. So, why do I say all of that to set up this video? Because I think the problem with church, I think the problem with our culture, I think the problem with who we decide Jesus is, and I think the problem with why we don't feel like a lot of churches are separate from just clubs where we hang out is because we allow people and pastors, I'm just going to be straight, to seek those same things that the disciples were seeking. And we get that out of whack. And when that happens, the church fails to be the church. And here's the biggest problem. You can get mad and just go to one down the street and relive the whole cycle. The whole cycle. Because the church is about us. But it's not supposed to be. So what happens when that gets out of whack? Well, the first, there's two problems that really I've kind of want to share with you. And the first one is this, that the church falls in love with itself instead of with Jesus. Right? Jesus says himself, you can't love two masters, right? He's, uh, it's scripture. Now, in that moment, he's talking about money and God. But listen, that concept is bigger than just money. Because what God is saying in that moment when he talks about money, he's talking about idols and things that control us. And guys, I've got news for you. We can quickly have other people become idols in our life faster than money and stuff. And the church cannot be the church when anyone in authority becomes an idol over the church. Can't do it. I'm not that fancy. But if you think I'm fancy, it will be a matter of maybe 20 minutes until you know how fancy I'm not anymore. I will let you down. But a problem with church culture is that we have asked people to fall in love with the name of the church or the pastor who stands and preaches instead of the actual person who the church is about, which is Jesus. And you know what happens? We get hurt and angry, and then we operate out of that, and then we wonder why we don't like church anymore. Because it's not about Jesus. This is why so many churches are failing and falling apart, and it's why so many churches are exploding as well because there's a figurehead at a church. And that's why people in big mega churches fall hard because we built them up to be God and they're not. 
Problem two that comes to this is that the mission of the church becomes about the authority of the people instead of the authority of God. And guys, we see that displayed. What really happens is, that's a fancy way of saying, bad theology comes of it. Right? Bad theology comes. And we see that by legalism and rules. By, by guys who get up and preach and they say, this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't. When you come to church, my goal, what we want you to do, what we want you to hear, is not follow these rules, don't do those things. It's love Jesus Love Jesus more now than you did yesterday and watch what he does. Stop loving yourself. Stop loving what the world tells you to love and just love Jesus and watch what he does. I'm not going to get up and tell you, hey, here are rules to follow. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. You can go buy a self-help book at Barnes & Noble and read all about that. Do you want to know what fixes culture? You want to know what fixes our hearts? Let them be infiltrated by Jesus and watch him guide you instead of you guide you. It's about relenting control. If you're going to church because you want a, a five-point sermon of take these five steps to a happier marriage, you are in the wrong place. You're not going to get that here. What you are going to get is love Jesus better so you can love your wife better. Love Jesus more so you can be a, a better wife to your husband, so you can be a better father to your children. Love Jesus well so that when that right person comes walking into your life, you are not a tragic mess who has to break out of selfishness to be loved by someone else. Love Jesus better so you'll stop loving yourself. But when we don't do that, pastors get up and they preach legalism. Or the total opposite. They preach total freedom and do whatever you want because God doesn't care and he'll forgive you anyways. Both of those are bad. They're wrong. And both of those will lead to your demise. What Jesus says is to love him really well, let him be Lord and to serve people that can't serve you back. Don't have reciprocation of obligation. Just love people well and watch what he does. Every problem that is in the church now, every reason people stop going to church, every reason people give up on church is because they allowed idols to be built of people in the church instead of Jesus to be the God he is and to renew and reform their hearts. Every single church, every one of them. Every one of them. And I will fight that all day. All day. Because it matters. Neither those things are healthy because Jesus does not sit at one extreme or the other. Okay? He doesn't. Jesus does not care what version of the Bible you read. I've got news for you. It wasn't written in English anyways. I know that's mind-blowing to people. Right? Like, the Apostle Paul was not writing it in English. He doesn't care what you read. What Jesus wants is for you to fall in love with him more and to live out of that. And when you live out of that, and if a church can come together and do that well together, and we can live by grace and forgiveness and hope, and we can actually take that out into the city, then guys, all of this changes. All of it changes. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. But until we do that well... And until we can stop making idols out of ourselves, and until we can decide that, or stop deciding that our rules are something to be lorded over other people, we will never get there. That's not good enough for me. So I want you to watch this video 
of my, my dear, dear friend, Josh Bradford. Josh is a pastor's kid whose dad is an incredible guy. He's actually going to preach here um, in a few months um, in the spring. But, but Josh felt that <laughs> of rules that he can't follow and that when they were broken, the church said, we're done. And so I'll let you experience this video here and uh, we'll come right back and wrap it up. I grew up in church. I'm actually a, a PK. My dad was a Presbyterian minister in the PCA, uh, has been for the last 20 some odd years. Um, kind of found my faith uh, at the age of three, so to say. So 18 year old Josh um, resented the church uh, for, for just the, the youthly arrogance of thinking that it had, it had dictated my whole life. Uh, but then also was so grateful to the church um, for basically the larger family that it provided. Uh, so I was in a really weird spot. Um, but no, definitely 18-year-old Josh would have thought he had nothing to do with the church and was definitely not going to follow in his father's footsteps of eldership and uh, being so heavily involved. Growing up with that pressure, uh, like I said, it uh, kind of puts this tremendous weight on you. Um, and you, for me, I, I reacted with striving to be the best in public I could be. And that worked out really great for me uh, until I was about 18 years old and had my first daughter out of wedlock. It kind of screwed up my image um, in the best way possible. Uh, I, I learned a lot about redemptive grace at that point uh, that I hadn't really understood in church before that. From the moment my dad found out about it, he had my back. and. Uh, showed me nothing but grace and the love of a father, um, showed me how to be a dad. And uh, so uh, that was the first thing that stood out. Uh, secondly, after that was just kind of, you get to see people in a different light. I actually learned more about Jesus in those nine months before having uh, our first daughter, Eliza, than I had learned in the 18 years beforehand. So people you thought were your friends are now kind of standoffish because they, don't want your bad mistakes to rub off on them. And uh, the people you kind of thought were weird are really the genuine people who just want to love you for who you are. Uh, so I guess I learned uh, to not, re or not judge a book by its cover and uh, to not underestimate the power of grace. Um, kind of did shape me to step into the role of a father uh, and then eventually into the role of an elder um, just by teaching me to mirror that grace that I was shown. Uh, and, and lack of judgment. Um, it also taught me to think before I act, <laughs> you know, as mistakes often do. Um, and it just set me up, it, it put me around people who showed me nothing but unconditional love. Um, and when you're shown that type of love, the only response you can have is to share it with others. Uh, so mine and Ray's story, uh, there is, almost in its entirety is not how I would have written it. Um, just from having Eliza so young, you know, I was 18 and, and Ray was 16, to, uh, you know, moving to Florida and then spend, you know, I worked countless hours in Florida to try and provide the best life possible. Um, and then moving to South Carolina, which no offense to South Carolina, but I hated <laughs> the state. I never thought I would live here. Um, to, to being back involved in church and being an elder. These are not things that I would have picked for myself. Um, 
but I am so happy that God picked him for me. Specifically for me and Ray uh, and our girls, no perfect people just seems like an invitation to us, you know? Um, knowing that with all the mistakes that we've made and uh, shortcomings that I've had, because if you look at the formula, if there's anybody who could have been a perfect person, it's a pastor's kid who had everything laid out for him. Um, all those shortcomings don't matter. Uh, knowing that everybody else is equally as imperfect as me uh, and my wife and my, my three kids, um, like I said, there's just an invitation to that. So church, I want more stories like that written in this city. Josh was an 18-year-old who impregnated a 16-year-old. And his story is redemption. It's not rules. It's not regulation. It's not this false holiness I, I don't know I don't know what it is is it's hope it's not about stage presence and authority it's simply about serving people really well and so if you came in today and, and you had to build up a wall of defense about why you shouldn't be here my encouragement to you would be Allow Jesus to knock it down and to leave those things that you're holding on to here and be done. Our, our response is, is the same that Jesus offers the disciples. It's to be reminded of our place in serving people. That, that what we do is not so that we can get more things. It's because people need to know Jesus and have hope. I know that church doesn't mean something that has to be synonymous with being given up on. It's, it's to be reminded about our purpose in loving people, that they're worth it, that it, it is worth walking with you and fighting for people, for them to know that there is hope in the gospel and that hope doesn't need to look like wearing a suit on Sundays or reading a certain version of the Bible or whatever, whatever thing you may have dealt with. And more than anything else, it's to be reminded that our prize, the whole reason that we are willing to love and give and serve and do that so well is because our prize is not here, it's in eternity. And as Paul said, if, if there's no resurrection, we are to be pitied amongst people of the highest level. But the good news is that there is definitely a resurrection. And because of that, we have great, great hope that you can be here and not be perfect and that Jesus loves you and cares for you all the same. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for hope. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that no matter what people might try to assign to you, none of that matters, that you are not held down by any of those things, that it is not Jesus plus something equals everything. Instead, it's the total opposite. All you ask for us is to be obedient in loving you. 
And so, Father, my prayer is the same for us as it is for me, that, that, that we would learn what it means to genuinely put all the things down and lay them at your feet. God, that we would be done with appearances, that we would be done with rules and regulations and how things should look and how things shouldn't. Instead, we would run those through you. That we would love you well. That because of that, we would love each other and love others well also. God, help us not to just give you a little bit of our heart. But give us security and safety in knowing that you own all of it. And that in that love and in that ownership, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us, even when we do the same to you. Because you're good and you're God and we're not. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.